man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. Some of you know that I attended a small boys' college in Durham, North Carolina. <laughs> and uh, my freshman year, my first semester, um, they had taken three of us and put us into a room designed for one person. So needless to say, it was kind of close quarters. Uh, I had two roommates. Uh, won't tell you about the one, but the other, Gary, was Jewish, and uh, naturally we had conversations and so forth. Well, the time came when he asked me, he said, Wayne, can you give me a New Testament so that I can read the story of Jesus? Uh, I said, no. Well, come on. That's a joke. I got him the, the uh, Good News for Modern Man, the TEV translation, and gave it to him. And he started reading, and I, I believe he, he was reading through the Gospel of John and never said anything about it. Uh, I was pretty sure he was reading it more out of academic curiosity than anything else. But anyway, he was reading through the Gospel of John, and I can still remember the moment he came to the resurrection narrative. I was uh, in, uh, uh, sitting on my bed, and uh, he was at his desk. And he was reading through it, and suddenly he just slams the book closed and puts it down on his desk. He turns to me and says, Wayne, this is impossible. I said, what do you mean? He said, no self-respecting Jew in that day would ever have believed a woman. That to him was proof that it couldn't be true. A woman had said it. When you think about it, it's actually proof that it is true. I mean, if you're going to make up a story, if you're going to, you know, sort of concoct uh, this fable about a guy who's dead and is raised from the dead, you're going to find somebody better than a person who's already discounted in the law courts and that nobody would listen to. I mean, I'm talking about back then, ladies. But that's, that's the way we thought. You know, we didn't accept the testimony of a woman. No, we, we would have chosen maybe Joseph of Arimathea, somebody who was rich and wealthy, somebody who was prosperous and influential. Let him be the first witness to the resurrection. Or maybe a Nicodemus, one who was involved in the Sanhedrin, who was in the upper echelons of religious power and influence. Let him be the first ref uh, witness and uh, one to refer to the resurrection. Or maybe even a soldier, get one of the Roman soldiers, someone who's tied into the political power of the day. If we were making up this story, we would have gotten anybody except a woman. But there it is, the universal testimony of Scripture, that the first person to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a woman. And what kind of woman 
is she, this Mary Magdalene? We don't know a lot about her. Uh, we don't have her biography. We don't know what happens after uh, this, this spot in the gospel story. She just sort of shows up and retreats out of the, out of the limelight. Uh, from the Gospel of Luke in chapter 8, the first couple of verses, we learn that there were several women who were accompanying the disciples as they traveled with Jesus. The picture we get is that Jesus had his inner core of disciples, and then there was a larger number of people who traveled with him also learning. And then on the outskirts of that were the women, and the Gospel of Luke tells us that these women were supporting the work of the ministry out of their own funds, out of their own means. In other words, even back then the women on mission were supplying the money to do the job okay so nothing much has changed (laughs) but in that list of of the women who were traveling with Jesus in Luke chapter 8 it says and Mary Magdalene from whom seven demons went out we really don't know exactly what that looked like there are traditions There are guesses. There are hypotheses. In fact, it has become a part of the English lexicon that the name Magdalene refers to a woman of ill repute. There's no biblical evidence for that at all. But it's sort of drifted in as people have tried to figure out who is this Mary Magdalene, where does she fit in the story, and they've they've tried to put things together, come up with conclusions. Here's everything we know about Mary Magdalene. She had seven demons go out from her. That's it. That and the resurrection narratives. Now, what did that look like? We don't know. All we know is that Mary Magdalene was living a life that was slowly being torn apart by the power of hell. Her life was literally being lived under the constraints of the denizens of evil. Her life was being destroyed. She had at least seven demons. That is, she had a match set. She had a complete set. She had a matched and complete set. She had all the pieces of the luggage. She had the carry-on demon, the check-the-baggage demon. She had the carry-your-laptop demon. I mean, she had the whole thing. She was completely possessed by this evil. We know other people who were uh, possessed. There was the Gadarene demoniac, the, and he just wandered through the graveyard. You remember that? He'd wander through the graveyard howling at night. They couldn't, couldn't uh, keep control of him. And so it, his demon possession was the kind that just drove him to do absolutely nutty, horrible things. Was that her affliction? We know that there was a man who had a son who was demon-possessed, and that demon would take the boy and thrash him on the ground and then throw him into the fire. Was that the kind of self-destructive demon that Mary Magdalene had? We know that there were demons who would assault people and take possession of people, and uh, they, they just didn't know what to do with their lives. What was this affliction? How did it express itself? We don't know. But there are some of you here who can guess. And I'm not talking about demon possession and, you know, um, Hollywood kind of thing. But you know what it's like to have your life crumbling inside of you. And you know what it's like to have your life out of control. 
You know what it's like to go through life and you see yourself doing things that only a crazy person would do, saying things that are absolutely nutty, believing things and responding to things in a way that makes no sense at all. You kind of know what Mary Magdalene's life was like. But then one day she met Jesus. I wish we had this story. You know, someday we'll get to heaven and she'll tell this to us. I think that's one of the things we're going to do. I can't prove it, but I like to believe it. But I think Mary Magdalene, among others, but she's going to tell us a story about the day that she first heard Jesus call her name. She's going to tell us about the day when she was living in the possessiveness of these evil, satanic, powerful demons in her life and Jesus came in we don't know what the conversation is she'll tell us we don't know what the affliction was she'll inform us but when he came to her life it was changed the demons were driven out and evidently when he drove the demons out he put his spirit in because her life was not only filled uh, or cleaned up and put in order, but now it was filled up with the grace and the power of God. And this Mary Magdalene that everybody used to talk about, used to whisper about, used to point at and say, there she goes, you know how she is. Well, this Mary Magdalene now joined her community, her society, and now people said, Mary, what happened to you? And she said, I met a man named Jesus. I met a man named Jesus, and he talked to me. He didn't talk about me. He didn't talk around me. He didn't talk over my head. He talked to me. This man, Jesus. And her life changed. It absolutely changed. From being driven by demons, she became a follower of Christ. Well, this Mary Magdalene then heard one day that Jesus was going to Jerusalem. She was along with the crowd and she was going in. We talked about this last week, didn't we? That the people started to acclaim Jesus, set him on a colt. He's going into town, riding as a conquering king, coming in the name of peace. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Mary walking along with him with all the joy and with all the excitement of that. No doubt she thought like the rest of the disciples that they would march into the city straight to the throne room, take over the palace. Jesus sitting on the throne, they sitting on either side, and the kingdom come. But the events of the week didn't work out quite that way. And so finally, the moment She saw Jesus dragged through the streets, nailed to a cross, and lifted up for the mockery of the world. I'm going to tell you something. It's it's kind of hard to preach on Easter Sunday. How could that possibly be? It's hard to preach on Easter Sunday for this reason. Everybody expects a happy sermon. You know, he is risen. Hallelujah, he is. But what does that mean? Well, it means butterflies. You know, the cocoon thing, and you get changed, and you come out a butterfly. It means rainbows, springtime, puppies, kittens, bunnies. You know, we can start over again. Happy talk. But here's what we are tasked to preach week after week after week. Nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus Christ crucified for 
our sin. Now, I, I know that we sort of schedule these things to not help you with that. I mean, last week we, we have Palm Sunday, and that's the time we wave the palms, and, and uh, we shout Hosanna, and we rejoice, and, you know, the triumphal entry of Jesus, and it's all a great and wonderful thing going on. And then we sort of skip over Good Friday, and we come to Easter, and now he is risen, and it's sunshine and, and, and flowers, and, and it's just a wonderful thing. And so you sort of get in your mind, if you're not paying attention, that we go straight from the hallelujah of Palm Sunday to the wonder and the hallelujah of resurrection, and we forget that before you can get from the triumphal entry to the uh, resurrection, you have to go to the cross. And there Jesus is crucified. There he is put to death for our sins. You see, if you you want to come to the resurrected Jesus, but you don't want the crucified Jesus, here's what you're saying. You're saying Jesus healed the sick. You know, and then he died. But he's back. Dr. Jesus is back. We get more healing. You see, and it's, it, my, it's about my sickness, and, and Jesus was victimized by those evil people, but he's back to heal me now. Or you say, well, Jesus drove out the demons and the unclean spirits, and they killed him. He was victimized by those people, but now he's raised. He's back, and now the demons are on the run again. Or Jesus taught the, the wonders of Scripture and opened up the Word of God for us, but they victimized him. He, he was killed by them, but now he's raised, and we get the wonderful teaching again. You see, if all you want is the resurrected Jesus, it's going to be all about you and what you can get. But folks, he was crucified for our sin. We are not the victims here. He is the victim, and we killed him. God sent him, we killed him. It is our sin that put him to death. Until we come to grips with that reality, we won't understand the resurrection. We won't know what it means. John struggled with that, uh, not struggled with that, but he dealt with that. Uh, You remember John, uh, the same one who wrote the gospel, uh, was also given the Revelation, the book of Revelation. If you look in there in the uh, fifth chapter, fourth and fifth chapter, you see that John was given a vision of heaven in the spirit. He saw the glory of heaven and he saw one seated upon the throne, two reverential honoring to God to just say, I saw God, but he says, I saw one sitting upon the throne and he saw the glory of the angels and the four creatures and the elders and the angels singing how God alone is worthy. Remember this, just nod yes, if you don't pretend you do. And then he said, in the right hand of the one seated upon the throne, I saw a scroll. Essentially, what he saw was a scroll that contained God's purposes for all creation. This is how God is going to accomplish his will in the world that he has created among the people and mankind that he has created. And there he has this scroll. And the angels look around and they say, who's worthy to open the scroll? Who can display the will of the one seated upon the throne? Who is able to do this? And they couldn't find anybody worthy to take the scroll and to open it and display the will of God. But then an angel came up to John and said, John, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. The Lion of Judah is worthy. 
The lion is worthy. And I, you know, I'm, I'm John. I'm saying, great, I want to see this lion. And so he says, and I turned and I saw, he's looking for the lion of Judah. He says, I saw a lamb standing as if slain. He said, I saw the sacrifice for my sin, still bearing the evidence of his crucifixion, but standing in the power of the resurrection. Standing as if slain. So, you know, we got to keep these together. Jesus Christ and him crucified, risen from the dead. Mary saw her Lord crucified. Followed after those who took him to the tomb. They, they put him in there, a tomb that had never been used before, uh, and uh, rolled the stone across. She came out early in the morning, found the stone rolled away, ran, told the disciples, uh, you know, they, the, the tomb is empty. Peter and John raced together to get to the tomb, and they got there staggered and looked in. The scripture says they believed, but they didn't quite understand, but they, they believed, and then they went home, and Mary was left there weeping. Weeping, because she's looking at the evidence the way you and I look at the evidence. She is looking at the evidence through the filters of what she can understand and what makes sense to her. And all she can figure out is, if Jesus is dead, and he is, and if he was laid in this tomb, and he was, and the tomb is empty now, somebody took the body. And I don't know where it is. And it tore her up, broke her heart. You see, the tomb would do that to you if you'd ever been possessed by seven demons. Because you used to have this demonic power over your life. And Jesus came, he took away the demons, but they killed Jesus. And if they can do that to him, what might they do to me? Jesus drove the demons out, and as long as I was with him, life was okay. But he's dead now. I can't even find the body. And maybe the demons come back. Maybe I sink back into the old way of life. And so she wept desperately in her tears. She peered into the tomb. She sees there two angels. I don't know if she even recognized them as angels. Sometimes angels appeared as these magnificent heavenly creatures unmistakably. Sometimes they come in ways you don't recognize. Book of Hebrews says, show hospitality, for some have thereby entertained angels unawares. But she peeks in, and there's two angels there. Maybe she's crying too much, whatever it is. She can't tell that. And the angels look at there and say, woman, why are you weeping? Now, if I'm Mary, I'm thinking, what do you mean? Are you for real? Obviously, I'm here because somebody died. You know, obviously, I'm here because someone I care about was put in this tomb. My tears, can't you understand that? But you see, when the angels ask, they're asking under the direction of the Father. They're saying, why are you weeping? They're not saying, Mary, we can't figure out why they're weeping. We're saying, Mary, you need to understand why you're weeping. You need to get a real handle on what's going on right now. Well, she hears a sound behind her. She turns around, there's Jesus. She doesn't know it. 
She doesn't know it's Jesus because, again, she's looking at the evidence through the filters of her mind, what she can understand, what she can figure out, what she can explain. And so when she sees someone standing there, all she can figure out is, it's got to be somebody, but it can't be Jesus. She supposes it's the gardener. If she'd looked closely, she would have seen him standing before her as if slain. But supposing him to be the gardener, she says, they've taken my Lord. They've taken Jesus. And I don't know where they've put him. Look, you're the gardener. Tell me where he is. I'll go get him. I'll take care of the body. She doesn't try to figure out, how am I going to carry this body? How am I going to take care of this myself? All she knows is the agony of a loving heart. I want to go to my friend and pay the respect he's due, at least to his body. So she says to this man, she presumes he's the gardener, you just tell me where he is. And Jesus said to her, Mary. You know, when you're reading a scripture like this, you can give it a lot of different readings. You know, it could have been, well, Mary. It could have been, Mary. But I think it was Mary. And that's all she needed. The good shepherd had called her name. The good shepherd had summoned her up out of the thistles and the thorns and the tangle in which she had become entrapped by her grief. And the good shepherd, who would not rest until he found the lost sheep, found her there in that garden and called her by name out of the darkness of her grief and into the bright sunshine light of the resurrection kingdom. Mary! She looks at it, you know, and, it, and it's not like she goes through a whole list of theological categories. Well, how can this be? You know, no. she just looks and knows that Jesus is there and he is alive. She can't explain it. All she knows is the body they laid in the grave. That's the body I'm looking at now. I can't tell you all that happened to it. Paul couldn't in, in 1 Corinthians 15, but I can tell you this. Jesus, who is dead, is now alive and he is risen. She looks at him and she says, in Aramaic, which is the language she spoke, it would have been odd if she had said it in Greek, but uh, John tells his readers that she spoke in Aramaic uh, because they're reading the gospel in Greek. And so that's what it says in Aramaic. So she says to Jesus, Rabboni, Rabboni. John says that means teacher. Um, the word means really something more like great teacher, if you were going to say teacher, capital T, uh, teacher, said teacher. Now this fits into the sweep of the gospel of John. If you, if you read the resurrection narratives in John uh, 20 and 21, what you find is a building of faith. We saw that when we looked at the gospel of John uh, some year or two ago. 
but what happens is um, the, 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 uh, the disciples are told that the tomb is empty. Peter and John run to the tomb, and they look in, and it says they believe, but they did not understand it. They did not know that the Scripture said this has to happen. But they believed. They, they just had this sort of first inkling of some kind of belief. Then it says that Mary Magdalene says to Jesus, Rabboni, teacher. See, she understands a little bit more. It's not just, well, something's happened here and, you know, maybe we'll figure out. It is, here is Jesus. He's teacher. He's the same teacher. And then it says Jesus appeared to the other 11 disciples that he, that he appeared to them. They were, they were hiding out. They were in fear of their lives. They had shuttered the, the windows and locked the doors. They were in fear, didn't have as much courage as Mary Magdalene did to walk the streets and go to uh, the tomb and to, and to search out the body of Jesus. But they're, they're hiding out. And Jesus appears to them, gives them his peace, breathes on them, the Holy Spirit, the whole thing. And then when Thomas comes in later, Jesus, the disciples say to Thomas, look, we have seen the Lord. So Peter and John, they believed, didn't understand it. Mary Magdalene says, teacher. And then the disciples say to Thomas, this is the Lord. We have seen the Lord. You know what happens is Thomas comes in a little bit later. And he says, look, I'm, I'm not going to uh, believe this unless it and touch it for myself. Sure enough, a week later, he comes in. There, there's Jesus, comes in uh, into their midst. He says, Thomas, look, look at my hands. Put your hands in the scars. I'm going to say this till you get tired of it. The only scars in heaven are his. He says, but Thomas, put your hand in my, in the nail prints and into my side. Remember what Thomas said? My Lord and my God. The whole gospel of John is moving to that one moment. People believing this, believing that, growing this, growing that, one, two steps forward, one step back, growing in faith, growing in faith. The resurrection narratives, chapter 20, 21, leading up to that moment when Thomas says, My Lord and my God, this risen Jesus is Lord and God. Well, we can surmise what Mary did. Uh, Jesus says, uh, don't cling to me. So uh, the, the picture is that she fell down before him and just grabbed onto his legs. Just grabbed onto him. If you were raised on King James, it says, don't touch me. You know, it, it's not like Jesus said, oh, don't touch me. You know. The word there means clutch, cling to, grasp, hold tightly onto. He said, Mary, don't cling to me. I haven't ascended to the Father yet. This is great, but we can't stay here. There are things that I need to do. And Mary, there's something you need to do. I want you to go and tell my disciples, I'm ascending to my Father. And here are some of the most precious words in Scripture. And your Father. Throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus had taught that God is our heavenly Father, taught the disciples to pray that. But Jesus, when he prayed, he would pray to Abba, Father. In that intimacy of the Father-Son relationship, in all the literature of Judaism, you do not find prayers addressed to God as Father. You, have, you find some references or illustrations of God as Father, but you do not find a single prayer addressed to God as Father until you come to Jesus of Nazareth. He prayed to his Father. And now he says, I'm ascending to my Father. 
But guys, he's your father too. He's not just my father and I enjoy this relationship and is closed off to anybody who's not the only begotten son of God, but he is the father who is now reaching out and adopting sons and daughters, children into the heavenly family. I'm going to my father and I'm going to your father. We are adopted into the family of God. That's why he didn't say, I'm just going to our father. Because Jesus is the Son of God in the way that we will never be. He is the eternal Son of God, the unique Son of God. We are adopted children of God. That's why he says, I'm going to my Father and your Father. But he said, Mary, essentially this, he said, Mary, you've got a gospel to tell. And it goes like this. Jesus crucified for our sins. God has raised him. And now you can be a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Says, Mary, we got stuff to do. You go tell them that I'm ascending to my father and your father. Tell them I'm going to my God and your God. Because Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brethren when we have faith in him. Mary went, told them, I've seen the Lord. And all that Jesus had said. Imagine that. Jesus took the most unlikely witness imaginable and sent her out on the first mission trip. The first one to declare the resurrection. To declare the victory of Christ over the grave. See, you thought you were an unlikely witness, didn't you? You thought you didn't have much to say, didn't you? You thought that your past history and biography where you had to talk about the enslavement that was yours to sin or to to the destructive forces and the dark things of life, you thought that disqualified you. You thought that you didn't have much to say because after all, you were so ordinary. But when you hear Jesus call your name and you come to him, the Holy Spirit makes you his witness to bear testimony of him. It's impossible. Nobody would believe that unless they've seen him, unless you've come to know him, unless your life has been changed by him, unless you've reached that point where you've, re- you've, you've come to know that Jesus Christ is Lord, Son of God. And you declare that with power. And you declare that with conviction. And we proclaim that all around the world, throughout the universe, until time comes to an end. Our message is this. God sent him, you killed him. God raised him. Now repent and believe the gospel. And we do that with confidence. Because he is risen. He is risen indeed. Would you pray with me, please?